Okay, people. This is Doc Tours on, and I'm back. Um, I have the day off, and I uh, was just sitting in the, there watching videos about motorcycle gangs and the pagans and the banditos and uh, other shows like that. Watched some shows about uh, from Al Prophet. Uh, this guy, Al Prophet, does videos about uh, crime. Neal Prophet. He, I don't know where he must be from uh, New York somewhere, maybe like uh, Upper New York or somewhere in New York, because he distinctly has a a, a New York accent, which um, it's one of those things I like watching because it's interesting, uh, and he does a good job. But also, it's something that I can just uh, listen to and you know, just like sort of like background noise while I'm. Fucking around on the internet. <laughs> well, I'm getting some. I got this new computer, see, and like I was saying on before on the uh, on the show, the only reason I got it was to um, you know do my podcast with. And what's funny is I haven't looked at it or even touched it since the last time I recorded. And as soon as I got in here, and I like had to sort of kind of have to motivate myself to to do a podcast because it was such a grind doing it on that old shitty computer that I came in here and I put in like every movie that I'm going to talk about on IMDb in probably less than less than five minutes. Whereas before it would take me forever and it just became, it was just like uh, grueling, you know, and then the thing wouldn't uh, record right and everything. But I talk about that all the time. But anyway, so Al Prophet uh, was talking about Nikki Barnes. He did a, um, um, uh, I think there was a documentary called American Dope, or it might be an actual show, but he was actually just talking about like when Nikki Barnes was one of the biggest heroin dealers in the United States. You see some of that in um, uh, American Gangster with um, Denzel, who played Frank Lucas. Uh, now, they, apparently they're going to have a Nikki Barnes maybe like a little mini-series or something. I don't know if it's going to be on Netflix or Prime or what. Uh, and I think they said Will Smith is going to play Nikki Barnes, so I'm not sure if that's going to be you know good or not. Um, and then I watched uh, some stuff about... Uh, there was this guy who was like in the Aryan Brotherhood, Michael Thompson. And when I think it was on A&E, they did a show about the Aryan Brotherhood and... Um, they talked about one of the biggest things on there was this guy, Michael Thompson, who was supposedly the, the highest-ranking member of the Aryan Brotherhood who turned against them and became a government informant. And he was on there, and he's, like, saying he's, um, uh, like, Native American and, you know, talked about how they would... They were like a minority in the prison system because in the prison system, the blacks and the Latinos are the majority. And so they talked about how they started the Aryan Brotherhood and, um, or why it started. And they were like the most violent, um, gang in prison, even though they weren't the biggest because they wanted, you know, to people be scared of them and everything. 
But anyway, that guy, he finally got out of prison. He was in prison for, you know, for life. And uh, they had him in witness, sort of like the witness protection thing, but in prison where they would move him around and everything. And he took a vow of nonviolence and all this stuff. And um, so he finally got out. um, And I'm trying to think when it was that he got out, but... He just recently got arrested again and went back into prison. So now there's all these people that are coming out saying that he was full of shit. He's kind of like a Frank Dukes or a Steven Seagal kind of a guy who kind of played up his um, uh, importance in the gang and that he's not even really Native American and that all these, when he would talk about having these knife fights in prison and all this shit, that it was a bunch of crap and, and that he was like, He's like a, a sort of a, you know, a charismatic kind of a con man guy. And that's how he got out of, um, got, got uh, out of prison to start with. But when it came down to it that he was really just a, a con man, he, he went back in prison for, it was like a, unemployment fraud or something where they, him and this other guy were running this um, thing where they would go to these homeless people and say they were going to help them get their un- get uh, like unemployment or uh, social security or something. I can't remember what it was like. EEP is what I think they called it. Um, and they would um, get these poor people to sign over their information to them, and then they would get the checks and everything. Um, but then I watched an interview with his his wife was on there, and she said that the guy that he was involved with was the scammer and actually was like a grifter and pulled the wool over his eyes. And, you know, so it's, you know, it's kind of like one of those things like, who do you want to believe? Um, but it was pretty good. I like a lot of that true crime stuff. I, I saw a thing on, um, one thing on YouTube where, uh, they were actually, you know, how like they have like horror hound weekend or, um, some of these, you know, uh, fantasy fest and, um, things like that, they're actually having a true crime um, convention. I can't remember where it was, though, because it's so popular, you know, people uh, reading about serial killers and criminals and, you know, like motorcycle gangs, mafia, all kinds of things like that. But it's all interesting. It's fun to watch and everything and, you know, kind of find out about stuff like that. But it is funny how on a lot of those documentaries and, and just about any documentary you watch, you can really get sucked in and think, oh, my God, you know, uh, and, and get swayed to one side. And then later on, when you hear an, either an opposite side or somebody dissect it, the thing that you were like, oh, my God, and you were ready to just really, you know, believe it all. You know, you're full in believing what the person is telling you. And then you find out that, you know, it's still just entertainment and they're only presenting that one side and they're presenting it convincingly. But a lot of times, you know, you're not hearing the whole the whole thing, and uh, it might end up being bullshit. Um, that's one thing. I'm trying to think what it was on Netflix, like the Son of Sam uh, documentary on Netflix uh, was one that was sort of like that, where uh, they lead you one way almost through the entire thing, and then when you get toward the end, they start presenting other evidence, and you're like, holy shit, you know, well, wait a minute, I thought it was this, and now it's kind of like, okay, it's not that at all. Anyway... Um, just been working. Uh, Mary and I are hanging out. We're debating on vacation right now. I don't know. Um, 
that I'm going to do. I'm just kind of trying to figure that one out. Um, but other than that, just been watching some television uh, and watching some movies. So I'm going to talk about them. Blue. Um, and I'm not going to sing Keith Carradine this week. Uh, I'm easy. I listened to the past show, and every time there was uh, dead air or I wanted to cover up dead air, I could have at least uh, picked different songs uh, for each thing, but I kept do- singing that freaking David Carrad- or David Carradine, Keith Carradine song from um, Nashville. Uh, let's see. I watched um, Duck You Sucker. Uh, the uh, my bifocals, man. I I I gotta figure out something here. Maybe I'll lower my chair or something. But the original title is um, "Jui la Testa." <laughs> and so anyway, I watched. Uh, this is a Sergio Leone movie. I don't think he didn't even. There's a lot of background to this movie. Um, I don't think he really didn't want to direct it. Uh, he was going to get somebody else that he that he respected and that he knew to that was going to direct it, and then there was you know a lot of stuff about you know who was going to play the parts. You know they were going to get Clint Eastwood. They wanted to get Eli Wallach to play the Rod Steiger part to start with, but I don't think either one of them wanted to. Um, it, it was too similar to like the Good and the Bad and the Ugly roles. And I also, I think Eli Wallach, he didn't want to do it unless Leone did it, and Leone didn't want to do it, and and Eastwood, he decided he didn't want to do it because he had done the three, the trilogy with Leone, and then um, so he decided to do Hang 'Em High instead. And I wish he would have, he would have been better off to do this because I don't think Hang 'Em High was that great. Um, it had a, it was. I talked about that one before it had, you know, a really good cast and everything. And, you know, the whole thing about, um, judge Parker, the hanging judge, uh, and, you know, having his marshals like Bass Reeves and these guys, or in the, in the movies, Rooster Cogburn was one of his marshals that would go into the Indian territory and stuff to bring guys back. And then he would hang them, um, was an interesting, you know, thing and you had Bruce Dern, you had uh, Clint, you had uh, I think uh, like Alan Hale Jr. I can't remember who else was in that one. Um, but it just really that movie would have been better if it would have been a spaghetti western directed by Leone. But it it would seem like it just missed on a lot of things. Uh, one of my least favorite Clint uh, westerns. But in this one, you Leone did decide to. Um, write and direct this. Uh, He wrote it with uh, Sergio Donati. And uh, it stars Rod Steiger and James Coburn. Um, And to be honest with you, um, I've seen this one a few times. Hey, David Warbeck is in this too, uh, who is a big, um, you know, uh, cult cinema uh, legend, David Warbeck. (laughs) But um, he plays, uh, I guess, in the flashbacks, uh, there's flashbacks to Ireland because Coburn's character John H. Uh, Mallory is an IR uh, is like a an IRA bomber um, fighting against the Crown in Ireland, and then he comes to uh, the United States. But this one is again, you know, out of the Leone westerns. Um, 
I would say this one, this was also known as Fistful of Dynamite. I was trying to think of that when I was saying the, um, the title. God, my glasses are so fucked up. It's weird when you have to wear bifocals. If something is sitting, it, you have to look at something lower uh, so you can look down through them to read. But then if it's above you, you have to put your head back and look down through them, and you look like an old person looking through your bifocals, which I am. Anyway, so I'm going to set my glasses on my face. This is another thing that, that old people do so they can actually, when things aren't aligned, they can, can see is to, okay, I'm going to raise my bike up and look down, uh, is to um, put your glasses like uh, up off your ears and tilt them down like you're wearing like granny glasses so you can look through them. This is going to be really uncomfortable. But anyway, um, out of all the Leone Westerns, this was, is my least favorite. Uh, Coburn looks great. I love him with the big bushy mustache, and he's got that big smile and everything. Um, but the one thing I really did not like in this at all was Rod Steiger. I thought he really sucked in this. And Rod Steiger is a you know a good actor, great actor to some. Uh, but I just thought he was awful in this. His, his accent and... Uh, just his over the top, uh, you know. I, I just, I, I really could not stand Rod Steiger in this, and uh, he kind of killed it for me. If it would have been Coburn, and you know, my God, how about this? They could have got actually got a, um, a um, Hispanic um, actor to play the part. That w- that would have been different. Uh, but Eli Wallach would have been way better. And um, uh, I don't know. It, it had some good stuff in it. But it was, you know, Leone's movies, uh, he, he tries to build up, like, tension and things like that, and he takes his time, which he does with this. It's uh, two hours and 18 minutes, but there's not enough, uh, there's not enough um, good stuff to outweigh the uh, kind of just boring, you know, nothing happening. And like I said, I, I just did not like Steiger at all. There's, there's uh, um, pretty much it would be, a rape scene in this that, uh, you know, where they're robbing a train at the beginning of the movie and there's a woman on the train and, um, Steiger takes her off the train. And while his family is, you know, ransacking the train, he takes her off the train to a, you know, a little, um, kind of out of the way place by, you know, where they stop the train and basically, you know, makes her suck his dick. And I think he screws her and everything. And it's pretty you know, it's one of those things back in that day, which this was uh, 1971, where it would be a rape scene, but it wouldn't be a violent uh, scene. It would be more like, you know, um, she's this uptight, rich woman, uh, and Steiger is like almost like a Pancho Villa kind of character. Uh, and um, she's never been, you know, she's she's almost like infatuated with uh, a real man, you know, a wild, you know, unbridled. The law doesn't, uh, you know, apply to him. So she submits to him, which still, you know, I don't know. They, they, it, it, I was reading some of the reviews and some people were talking about the rape scene and, uh, and you know, but the way they portray it, it wasn't as, it, it wasn't like a violent, uh, you know, um, irreversible, you know, kind of rape scene or whatever. Uh, like I said, I love Coburn in this. I liked when he in um, later in his career when he started donning the big stash, um, and but you know that's about all I have to say. But like I said, this one just did not. I sat through it. I just did not. Uh, it wasn't. It, 
every time I watch it, I want it to be better, and it's not. <laughs> it's like it's like some of the movies where I say I I can't stand this movie, and you guys all love it or something, and I think okay, well maybe I'll give it another chance, and it never works out. Um, I think one of the ones that I remember, I remember when I saw um, oh um, Ryan Gosling in Drive. When I first saw that, I didn't like it that much. I did not like the you know the uh, '80s music and the um, and the uh, like neon kind of look and everything. But then after I watched it uh, the first time, I you know it was one of those things where yeah, uh, when you watch something and you just uh, some of the Cohen movies have been like that for me too. When I watch it the first time, and I'm like, yeah, that wasn't that good. And then I watch it uh, s- several different times after that. Um, even on the second viewing, Mandy was like that. I remember the first time I watched Mandy, I didn't really like it. And then after we watched it and reviewed it, um, I really got into it and I thought, man, this is really batshit. I watched it for what it was and and enjoyed it a lot more. Uh, next thing I watched was, let me check something here. I'm paranoid from the old computer. So I always have to keep checking to make sure that things playing, but I forget that this is a good computer. I watched 2020's Honest Thief, uh, starring Liam Neeson, uh, Kate Walsh, and Jai Courtney. Um, also in this is um, oh, uh, Jeffrey Donovan. I really like him. He was in um, uh, Sicario, and he was also in that show Burn Notice. Uh, I kind of like him. Uh, let's see. Who else is there? Kate Walsh. Um but the this movie, I remember seeing the um, trailer for it, and I thought, oh, God, this is stupid. Because Liam Neeson, this is directed by Mark Williams. Liam Neeson, uh, wanting to lead an honest life, a notorious bank robber, turns himself in, only to, uh, to be double-crossed by two ruthless FBI agents. And... Just the, the the plot of it, I thought was stupid because Liam Neeson's character has is this you know successful bank robber who uh, by himself he has robbed I don't know how many banks and he's got all this money he's got like say he's got like ten million dollars I can't remember how much it was or ten or twenty million dollars whatever I don't remember um, but he he meets this uh, woman. And he falls in love with her, and of course he doesn't. They just have like a. This is sort of a. Um, it has a little bit of a more of a light. Um, it, it's definitely an action movie and has some, you know, some asshole villains in it. Um, but it's also it's also like the love thing between him and um, Kate Walsh is handled more like, you know, uh, they really make you feel like they have a connection and that they really, you know, like each other and care about each other. You know, they go through when they just met and how they really click and that he really is a nice guy and everything. But, of course, she doesn't know that he um, is a bank robber and everything. But I just found the whole thing of him um, calling, like, the FBI and saying, hey, I want to turn myself in. Um, and I will, if you can give me, if I give, he go. he says like, you know, I haven't spent one penny of the money that I stole. If I agree to give back every cent of the, of, of the money that I stole 
and agreed to turn myself in, you know, can, can we make a deal? And I think they said they would give him like a year or two or something like that in prison. Uh, but he's not going to get like life in prison or anything. And I thought that was stupid because he got away with it. Nobody knows. And he's got the money and everything. Um, it just was kind of a dumb concept, but it still ended up being, you know, uh, there's another Liam Neeson movie that I watched that I'll talk about here, you know, in just a few minutes. But this one, it wasn't horrible or by any means. It's above average, uh, and it's enjoyable to watch. It's just that, you know, like I said, when I watched the trailer, I thought, oh, I don't know if I'm going to like this or not because this really seems stupid. But they do do it well, and, um, you know, it's definitely, it's definitely worth a watch, you know, uh, to sit down. It's not something I would revisit, but Liam seems to do, even though he's some of these movies that he's doing, I went. I don't even know if they're like straight to uh, digital download or streaming or whatever. I think they do go out in the theater, but um, they're pretty good. You know, they're not shit like Bruce Willis puts out. Is what I'm trying to say. Me. Okay. Now the next movie I watched was Guns of the Magnificent Seven from 1969. Um, this was directed by Paul Wendkost. When Coase, and uh, stars George Kennedy, James Whitmore, uh, Bernie Casey. I think this is the first movie he was in. Uh, Joe Don Baker is also in this. Very young Joe Don. Uh, let's see who else. Uh, da, 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 da. Frank Silvera. Uh, Wendy Wagner. Anyway, uh, Fernando Ray. He's he's another one. He was like the. Uh, the guy that is, um, oh, not the bad guy. Um, they kind of do a deal where the, um, the the Magnificent Seven in this, of course, they're all different people, although George Kennedy is playing the Yul Brynner role of Chris. I mean, they even say that, you know, in the movie. And I think in uh, one of the other ones, they have, okay, Yul Brynner played Chris twice. Um, and then it was... I think Lee Van Cleef plays him and George Kennedy. Um, and Yul Brenner was the only one that was really... I, I haven't seen the one with Lee Van Cleef in a long time, but I just remember when I was a kid, I loved The Magnificent Seven, so I watched all these movies, and yeah, it's about what you would expect. They get worse as they go along. And um, I think George Kennedy, you know, he's... I like him in a lot of, like, Cool Hand Luke and the uh, airport movies and things like that. But, you know... It's just like um, if you had, I don't know, you know, you, you, Yul Brynner's character in this was so iconic, and then, you know, George Kennedy, he just, it, this one is just like they just got some scrubs to play in a scrubby movie. They, they could have got Bruce Willis. I, I didn't see the one with, um, with uh, Denzel Washington and Vincent D'Onofrio. I thought it looked like shit. And I just, I, I was like, I don't think that even looks good. It, it looks kind of shitty, just like uh, like uh, these, like the Guns of the Magnificent Seven from 1969. Um, a Mexican revolutionary hires American gunslinger to organize and rescue their leader from a brutal army prison. Um, in this one, okay, and of course in the original one, they're fighting against banditos that come to this village uh, and basically take all their grain and their food and anything that they have once like every so often um, to so because they you know 
why don't you work for it? Why don't you try? Why don't you try? You know, blah blah blah. Uh, buy it or buy blah blah blah. blah. Anyway, I'm going to do um, Magnificent Seven uh, quotes here. But in this one, the federales are the uh, the bad guys, and um, actually the Fernando Ray group, who um, they come and they they are there's like Mexican or there's like Mexican banditos that once you know. They're there too, but they're not like the total bad guys. They're they are kind of on the periphery, uh, and of course George Kennedy has to basically just like it's the same formula as the other fucking movies where he goes and he rounds up a, uh, you know six other dudes and they go to help the you know the village or whatever to fucking blah blah blah. Um, there's nobody in this that really has that much charisma and even if they do the storyline and the writing in this just suck like i said george kennedy's not bad you know i love joe don baker bernie casey actually uh, after football became a pretty good actor uh james whitmore is a good actor uh fernando ray frank silvera there there's some good people in this but it's just a shitty it's just a shitty movie it seems almost like it could be a, a made for tv movie and it's just not good. I wouldn't recommend it um, if you're a Magnificent Seven completist or whatever, or if you like westerns, you know, um, you know, give it a shot. But I think it's pretty crappy. Meh, meh, meh. I'm scratching my nose. Okay, the next thing I watched was uh, the other Liam Neeson movie I was talking about, and this is 2021's movie, The Ice Road, um, and. Uh, it's directed by Jonathan uh, Hensley, Hensley or Hensley. Uh, stars Liam Neeson, Marcus Thomas, Lawrence Fishburne. Um, I think that those are the uh, Lawrence Fishburne and Liam are probably the only two people. Okay, Holt Mac uh, Mc Mickle Mc McElhaney. <laughs> I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. I think he was in GI Jane, and uh, he was in that. Um, the serial killer Mind Hunters Netflix show. He was one of the two FBI agent guys. You've seen him if you, uh, you probably don't, maybe not recognize his name, but you've seen him in shit. Um, who else? This chick in it, this Amber uh, Mid Thunder. I think she was in Legion, I believe, um, with um, about Charles Xavier's. Um, son who has all the powers yeah tv series uh she played uh carrie Loudermilk, and uh she was also in hell and high water but i don't know who she was in that hell and high hell hell or high water um trying to think of women that were in that movie there was a prostitute that um what's his name fucked and then there was a woman who was Try like uh, I'll see. I'm. I don't remember there being that many women in that movie except for the, the waitress with the big boobies. Uh, and who did she play? Let me look here. Daddyo Vernon Teller. I don't know. She's a little cutie though. But she was in this one with uh, Liam Neeson. Ice. I always want to say Ice Road Truckers, um, but it's not Ice Road Truckers. It is Ice Road. 
And I think that probably the Ice Road Truckers um, TV show probably had something to do with the the, uh, idea for this movie. It wasn't bad. Again, just like the other one, um, Liam movie that I watched, um, this one is, it's kind of has like a, um, like sort of like a lower budget uh, version of Sorcerer or um, what was Sorcerer, the other one that it was. um... Oh, shit. <laughs> no, Keith Carradine. Goo 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 goo. Not not not, a pa- uh, not passive glory. It was uh. God damn it! What's my brain doing? Where's my brain? Snort. I don't give a shit. It was called Daddy O. William Freakin wanted Steve McQueen. Now how the hell am I getting off on this shit? Not paths of glory. Something, something, something with the eaves. <laughs> Yves Montbon. Uh, God damn it. IMDB, just throw me the fucking picture so I can. Okay. Was it Wages of Fear? God damn it. Son of a bitch. I hate when I can't remember shit that is like something that we all know a million times over, and you guys are mocking me while I'm doing this. You're mocking me. Anyway, so Ice Road, and I and I know people are going to be like, oh, you're fucking actually comparing the Ice Road to um, Wages of Fear and and uh, um, the source, or Sorcerer. But I'm, I'm not. I'm just saying it's sort of the same kind of thing where they're in these big trucks and they're trying to get this, um, it's like this uh, piping and valves that, that people get uh, in a, there's a mine and there's a, an explosion in the mine. So these Miners are trapped underground, and they have to get there to try and save them, but they have to go across this um, this frozen like uh, tundra, frozen lake and everything. So you do have that kind of tension, but it's nowhere near as good as either one of those movies. I'm just saying it's sort of the same concept. and uh, But it's all right. It's worth a watch. Uh, I enjoyed it, and I want to look more into this little uh, Amber uh, Mid-Thunder. She's a little cutie. Um, and I did not realize that that was the chick from Legion. That's why I'm saying that right now. What else she got coming on? She's also on Roswell, New Mexico TV series. I did not watch, uh, I did not watch Roswell. Maybe that's something I need to look into. The Ice Road. What's the Marksman? Is that Liam Neeson? Wasn't he, didn't he have one? Yeah, that's it. Okay, this is Liam Neeson too. Uh, this is one that I thought about watching, it has the same rating as the Ice Road on IMDb, which is a 5.6. Um, but um, it's another Liam Neeson. He's actually he's working a lot, which is kind of cool because I like him and he does. He he like I said, these aren't like great fucking movies, but they're he does he when he is making these kind of movies, they're at least worth a watch. Uh, and I'm really down on Bruce Willis for being a turd, so I'll say not like Bruce Willis again. Um, so check out, um, what's her face? I liked her in Legion. She was a badass in that. She shared powers with this, um, um, scientist. They shared like they, they had this, they couldn't be in the same place at the same time. Um, it would either be her or it would be him. It's kind of like the, um, is it Firestar? The DC, um, uh, 
Let's see. Hang on. The DC comic character where you ha he has to... Ha it's, it's basically the same concept where if one of them is there, the other one is sort of like... Uh, it's sort of like um, Captain Marvel. If Billy Batson was, is there then Captain Marvel isn't. He's in another dimension. Or how they used to do Thor and Dr. Donald Drake. If Dr. Donald Drake's in the hospital working, Thor is like in Asgard, but when he needs Thor to come, he bangs the stick on the thing, and the guy should... But they can't be at the same place at the same time. Donald Drake would go into like some other dimension. Um, what was that guy's name? Was it Firestar or something like that? Anyway, you guys probably know that too, and you're probably... Saying, move along, jackass. Boo. We're mocking you again. Um, but that's kind of like the way she is in Legion. Um, she'll come out and she'll be like a, a total fucking badass who will jump into any fray and ready to fight. Uh, and then, see, now I'm getting him confused with the guy from the Legends of Tomorrow. But it's I'm pretty sure it's the same thing. <laughs> he can't come out. She's there. If she's there, he, you know, whatever. Anyway. So Ice Roads is pretty good. Uh, I kind of had it figured out. It's one of those movies where um, when you're watching it, you're thinking, okay, I think I've got this kind of figured out, uh, the twist. But if they wouldn't have, the twist was going to be pretty obvious if you watch movies. But it would have been better almost if they wouldn't have done the twist and they would have went with the way they were going to do it to start with. But it's still, it's pretty good. I, you know, uh, it's one of the, it's also one of those ones. It's one of those ones. I'll say that five more fucking times like a jackass. This guy, Marcus Thomas, plays Gertie McCann, who is Mike McCann, Liam Neeson's brother. And this, that's kind of one of the things that I didn't like about the movie. His brother had been in, I think, the war and he had PTSD and all that. He was like a genius with engines, uh, but he's sort of like um, not quite as bad as Sean Penn and I Am Sam. But And I, I hate to say this and say he's simple-minded, simple, simple minded, but they kind of make him out to be almost like a sling blade kind of a guy. Uh, maybe not even as bad as sling blade, but he can fix any engine, you know. But you have to, you know, watch him walk around and act, you know, I don't know. I just didn't like that character. I didn't think there was as much of a need for it. They could have just had him be two brothers, and you know, you didn't have to have one be Lenny from fucking, uh, you know, Mice and Men. But it's worth a watch. I thought it was all right. Liam, woo, Liam. Now this one is not worth a watch. I advise everybody to stay away from this. It is a total piece of shit. Um, you know, I talked about one time before the movie Officer Down, Officer Down, about the uh, police uh, policeman in the future that couldn't be killed and everything, and that it was really a shitty, sucky-ass movie that I think one of the guys from Slipknot maybe directed or something. I can't remember. But this one is called Officer Down, and it's from 2013, and it stars Stephen Dorff. Uh, Stephen Lang, it's got a it's got a pretty good cast. Stephen Dorff, uh, David uh, Borean who was in uh, like Buffy and that shit. James Woods is in this. 
Johnny Mesner, who has did quite a bit of uh, straight to DVD movies, but also was in that Bruce Willis Navy SEAL movie that was sort of like the Magnificent Seven. Something about the sun. <laughs> what the hell was that fucking movie called? Uh, he was the guy with the mohawk that was one of in Bruce Willis's uh, Tears of the Sun. He was really co- a really cool character in this. He was also in Spartan. Uh, Johnny Mesner. I don't know what his story is, but uh, it seemed like there for a while. Every time I went to fucking Walmart, uh, they would have straight to DVD DVDs. Um, that starred Johnny Mesner. And I was like, who is this Johnny Mesner? Um, he's made 80 fucking movies uh, from, let's see, when did he start? D-D-D. He was on Guiding Light. Uh, that's not a movie, though. So he was on some TV stuff. But he's he's been in 80 different things, TV and movie related. And um, it seems like he must know somebody or he's got a lot of money or somebody he's friends with somebody who's got a lot of money. Or maybe he's got a lot of money. But anyway, he was in that Tears of the Sun, and he was pretty good at that. He was He's a cool-looking dude and pretty good. Uh, also in this was Dominic Purcell, who's in a lot of uh, kind of shitty movies in Prison Break. Uh, he played uh, Dracula in the, uh, was it Blade? Uh, Blade 1 was good. Blade 2 was Ron Perlman. I think, is it Blade 3? Blade 3, the one with uh, Jessica Biel that sucked, and Ryan, um, what's his face? Van Wilder. Um, That one sucked, but I think Dominic Purcell played Dracula in that. He's got a good look, and he's pretty cool. He's been in some um, Uwe Boll movies, um, and I always like him. But again, this movie has a lot of people in it. Elizabeth Rome, who was on Law & Order when it sucked. Tommy Flanagan, who you've seen in a bunch of shit. He's the, the biker in um, uh, Sons of Anarchy that has the, the Irish guy that has the big scars, the real legit scars on the corners of his mouth. Uh, and Walter Goggins, who was in um, uh, Justified with uh, Timothy Oliphant. Um, and Oleg Tuktarov, who was in Predators uh, with the big nose guy. <laughs> and he was a UFC fighter. Um, I like him. Uh, he was also in that uh, Robert De Niro movie, like, was it 15 Minutes? Where uh, Oleg Tiktarov and this other Russian dude get, like, a video camera, and they go, and they're, like, killing people and stuff and putting it on the Internet. And uh, I think it's Ed Byrne and um, Robert De Niro are cops trying to put a stop to it. Wasn't a bad movie. Wasn't a good movie. But what I was going to say about this movie is uh, this uh, Officer Down. Um, I liked Stephen Dorff in a few movies, especially the one uh, Felon with him and Val Kilmer that sort of has some Aryan Nation kind of uh, people in it. And um, it's a it's a worth that's definitely uh, it's like a shot caller. Uh, they're both really pretty good um, prison movies. Uh, this is directed by Brian A. Miller, uh, written by John Chase, and it's got a lot of you know decent actors in it and everything. And it's it, the the box cover art looks good, right? This movie is fucking awful and it's horrible. It's awful and horrible. But I'll tell you why. I did some research on it, and apparently this was uh, the guy that put up the money for this. I think was like a Russian or some Eastern European kind of dude. 
And he put up like a bunch of money. I think it was like 12, say it was like, uh, oh, God damn it. Where the hell is the thing at? I, I actually saw it here just a minute ago. Um, he put up a shitload of money for this, like in the millions. Say it was $12 million or something. Um, okay, yes. Okay, here it is. Bust up. Um, uh, the budget was $12 million. Now, this movie, uh, on the opening weekend for this movie, made $1,061. Okay. Now you're thinking, okay, well, maybe, you know, it did a little bit better, you know, because sometimes movies uh, don't do that well, and then once they get on the world stage, they do a lot better. Okay, uh, that was just for the opening weekend. Um, the gross in the United States and Canada was $1,463. Now, it made $1,061 on the opening weekend. It made $1,000. $463 in the United States and Canada so far. The gross worldwide, $255,080 gross worldwide on a budget of $12 million. Now, one thing that I read about this was, I think, okay, it's all done in Connecticut. Um, the guy that put up the money for this he must be fucking rich as shit i guess he's probably got like uh he's probably like some russian oligarch or something um but he put up the money for this fucking movie and he said i will put up the money for this movie if you put my girlfriend in the movie and she has to be in it for at least 20 minutes and I think that might be this uh, Anna Lynn McCord. I'm not sure, but I think that's who it is. Um, so they made they shot the movie, and when they shot it, she was only in it for like 45 seconds, maybe like a minute or two minutes or something like that, and he was pissed. So he said, listen, I put this fucking money up, and he probably put a gun to Stephen Dorff's head or something, but he said, I put this fucking money up, and with the guarantee that my girlfriend would be in it for 20 minutes. So they had already shot the movie. So they had to go back and reshoot 20 minutes worth of footage with her in it. And in the first first cut of the movie, she was in it for, like I said, like maybe like a minute. So she didn't have anything to do with the movie, her character. So they had to go and shoot 20 minutes of her character and put it in the movie... And her character didn't have anything to do with the, the movie hardly at all, so they had to change the storyline to force her character into the movie. So the movie just sucks, and it's, it's just, it is just awful. You can watch it just to see how awful it is, and it looks like it was shot with like your tel my telephone, and not my new telephone, not my new iPhone, but like uh, my um, uh, Magnavox flip phone or something. It's just really, it's really shitty. Officer Down with Stephen Dorff. This is on Amazon Prime or Netflix. I can't remember because I kept seeing the box of it, cover art for it, and it looked like it was going to be a pretty gritty, badass cop movie, and it's a piece of shit. It's worse than a piece of shit. Uh, let's see. Enough of that. I watched The Croupier uh, from 1998, starring Clive Owen, who I always like Clive Owen. I'm not sure about the movies that he picks. Um, I think he 
is well he is a big star he's a huge star and everything and i really like him he's got a lot of charisma i like his look i think he's a really good actor and everything but um he's not as bad as like jeremy or jeremy gerard butler or somebody like that as far as the movies he picks but he could do better uh this was directed by mike hodges and i'm not saying anything bad about this movie this movie was really good uh, and I think that this is like the first movie that Clive Owen was in that really got him noticed as being, you know, uh, uh up and coming star, somebody who was going to be somebody. Um, I really like this. I thought it was done really well. The one thing that was, it was right at first was hard, not hard to watch, but was just made it kind of weird was Clive Owen looks like a baby in this. He's probably, he looks like he's about 19 years old. He's so young. And you're, you know, you're so used to him being such a chiseled, you know, you know, rugged, <coughs> macho man. But he's really good in this. I like the story. Um, hang on one second. I'm going to get this coughing out of me. I'm going to pause for a second. I definitely should know better by now than to start recording without some hot beverages or at least something to drink. Because I start getting that uh, scratchy voice and uh, starts tickling my throat. The croupier, what I was going to say about that is um, I really like movies. As, well, I mean, if they're done well, of course, uh, about like gambling, <clears throat> casinos and um, gambling addiction. And also just anything about um, that whole that whole atmosphere, um, even if it's not casinos, but like in... Um, Oh, um, the movie with Ed Norton and uh, Matt Damon. Dig it. Um, except the one thing I hated about that fucking movie in retrospect. Now, when I first watched it, I really loved it, and I watched it a bunch of times. But I hated the narration in that, um, especially knowing that um, Ben Affleck was uh, such a gambling addict and that him and Matt Damon at that time were, you know, so into, you know, gambling and card counting and all this stuff. And they really got into it. And he's talking about, you know, Johnny, Johnny toe, not Johnny toe, but I can't remember what the guy's name is, but like a uh, Amarillo slim, you know, used to say, uh, the only sucker at the table is the guy with the blow poppers. You know what? I don't know. But he would just keep saying stuff like that, like they were so enamored with these guys. Well, then make a fucking movie about those guys. But don't just read me a fucking book of quotes while the movie while a movie's going on. I still like that movie because I do like the movie about gambling addiction and and uh, about people that. Um, have it all or like they win and they're sitting on top of the world, but they're so fucking stupid that they go out and, and just keep just, they're born losers, you know? Um, but this one has a little bit of a twist in that Clive Owen's character never gambles. He refuses to gamble. He thinks that, that, you know, that, that that's like, they're like suckers, you know, because he works in a casino and, um, he's a dealer. He's a, um, uh, the guy that spins the uh, wheel on the roulette table or, you know, does, you know, like gam like the actual card games and things like that, the dealer. Uh, but it's really good. Um, I like the whole story. I like the, if you haven't seen it, it's definitely worth watching. I put this on the, 
on the sh- not on the shelf. I, I just you know I love Clive Owen, and I've seen this you know the box cover art on, on like uh, streaming services and stuff like that for a long time, but I never watched it. And I'm glad I did. I thought it was really good. Take another drink, Johnny. Doctor Zami. So anyway, check out the croupier and other. Yeah, I don't think it had anybody else that I knew in it. Um, but I really liked it. So there. Also, I want to check out this. I'll sleep when I'm dead. I haven't seen that one with uh, Clive. And uh, let's see here. Also, um, I liked The Gambler with uh, James Caan. That one movie with um. Kevin Spacey about the card counters from like MIT was good too. It wasn't great, but it was still good. And even you know, even though it had Kevin Spacey in it, you know, I know some people will never watch another movie with Kevin Spacey. I found I discovered this movie on my own. I don't know how. I just thought uh, I was going through uh, like Prime and Netflix and just trying to find some stuff that I had never heard of that might be good. And I watched a movie from 2016 called Goldstone. And um, this is directed by uh, Ivan or Yvonne Sen, uh, written by Ivan or Yvonne Sen. It stars Aaron Pedersen and Alex Russell and Jackie Weaver. I thought this was really good. Um, <clears throat> again, I had never heard of it. And then when I posted it, um, uh, Terry Frost from Paleo Cinema. And a few other people were like, oh, man, this, the, yeah, that's really good. You ought to check out this other movie. Um, I did not know anything about uh, Goldstone. I didn't know that they, it, there was an actual TV show that was made off of this. Um, it, I think it also has Aaron Pedersen um, as the star. And, but this is also sort of a sequel to the first movie, which I'll be talking about here, but I, I'm reviewing them backwards because that's how I watched them. There was another movie uh, with Aaron Pedersen playing the same character of Detective Jay Swan uh, and uh, the Frost Giant uh, from Paleo Cinema recommended I watch that one after I had told him that I, or actually posted that I had watched this one. Because when I first started this one, it almost seemed like... You know, you don't have to see the first movie to get this one. It's not as much a like a, a sequel to the story of the first one, although it is a little bit. Um, <clears throat> I watched this one not knowing anything about the TV show, not knowing anything about the uh, other movie, and I thought this was really good. And I also liked the... Um, uh, Alex Russell, I thought he was really good in this too. And Jackie Weaver was excellent because she was such a, it was almost like if uh, Martha, not Martha Stewart, because Martha Stewart always came off as kind of uh, like she could be bitchy or something like this. But this woman that Jackie Weaver plays, she plays the mayor of this little town. And, um, <clears throat> But she's almost like a Julia Childs or something kind of a, a character who bakes pies and is just such a, a happy, you know, um, probably goes to church every Sunday, is, is big in the community, you know, knows everybody and everything. But she is kind of a fucking strange person. <laughs> in this. Um, now, let's see. 
And uh, David Wenham uh, was also very good in this, too. Uh, let's see. Let me just read the synopsis here. An indigenous, uh, in, this is an Australian movie. An indigenous detective, Jay Swan, arrives in the town of Goldstone to search for a missing person. And his simple duty uh, becomes complicated when he uncovers a web of crime and corruption. So it's almost kind of like a, I don't know if it's like it's kind of like a Serpico sort of movie. Because on, on a small scale, this isn't low budget. This is done really well. Um, but when I, what I'm saying is he, uh, Jay Swan, um, you have, he's a very um, interesting character because, first of all, he is, uh, when they say indigenous, I, was, I guess I'm saying, you know, aboriginal uh, ancestry. And so you do have a certain amount of um, that racism or classism kind of a thing going on in here, which you see in the communities and, and, and things. They don't play it up uh, like totally, like where people, like when uh, um, Sidney Poitier went to, in, you know, when he was Virgil Tibbs and he went to investigate, you know, the, the crime and heat of the night. But it's still there, uh, you know. There, you know, people say, "Well, you know," and it's weird for me being um, American because they're saying, you know, uh, this he's a black uh, policeman. Oh, some of these white, you know, people, and uh, you know, you're looking at him and you're like, well, you know, when I'm thinking of the term black, I'm thinking of you know over here in the, in the United States where someone is African American and but I, but you know you have to keep in mind this is in Australia and who the, the the classism and the racism over there against the aborigines and everything down through time and it still exists because I this this movie uh, is takes place in you know modern times it's not like uh, mad dog Morgan or anything like that but he's a really good character at the at the first part I was a little bit confused and it probably that's probably one of the things that would help watching the first movie first uh, is that he shows up the the main person in the movie in this movie is um, the Josh Waters character who is a policeman in the actual town uh, where this um, uh, it's sort of like um Oh, what's the the wind? Um, oh shit! Hang on a second. Well, I'm being followed by a moon shadow, Wind River, sort of like that kind of a concept, um, where you have uh, these whether it's uh, natural gas drilling or oil drilling or some kind of ore drilling, of course, in uh, Wind River. Um, and, and you have the, the corporation. There's that the, uh, TV show with uh, Tim Roth that sort of has the same thing where, where this big corporation comes into town and um, takes a, kind of basically takes over because they are so responsive. They come in and turn the town into a thriving community um, 
as far as the economy goes and everything. So the local politicians and everything are are all in with the company, all in with, uh, you know, kind of letting things slide a little bit with the workers, maybe getting a little out of hand. Sort of like I said, like in Wind River, you know, where uh, the, the, the drivers or the miners and the, the blue collar guys getting drunk and partying and letting their hair down and, and you know, maybe creating a little, bit, a little bit of havoc and a little bit of, um, you know, drunken revelry and things like that. And then it gets it starts getting a little bit more and more out of hand. And then the corruption of the big company uh, throwing their money around and all that stuff. That's sort of how Goldstone, if you want to kind of get an idea of what it's all about. Um, the thing that I was going to say that did confuse me or make me wonder about the backstory of Jay Swan is at the beginning of this movie, he comes to town to investigate a missing persons, but he's really a fucked up person. He's really... Um, you can tell that something has happened to him that has really messed him up. And uh, without seeing the first movie, it makes you wonder. I, I was thinking, man, this is this guy's got... There's, there's a lot of depth to this character that they're not telling you about. Uh, but I guess you do know if you've seen the other movie, which I'll talk about here in just a few minutes. Um, but again, in, in the first movie, Jay Swan is more of the main character from beginning to end. In this one, he is a pivotal character in the movie, but Alex Russell's character, Josh Waters, is more the guy from beginning to end uh, that is the main uh, protagonist. Uh, but I still, I really like this. I thought it was really good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I recommend it to, to everybody to check it out. And um, let's move on to the next movie. I watched Vertigo uh, from 1958. Uh, this was, of course, an Alfred Hitchcock movie uh, starring James Stewart or Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak. I really like this. Um, the one character that I was surprised, something that surprised me in this movie was there was a character in this, Marjorie Midge Wood, and she is Jimmy Stewart's um, like confidant and friend. I think they had maybe had a relationship uh, in the past, but they were still like best friends and uh, like buddies and things like that. And I thought, oh, this woman that I really like. I mean, of course, Kim Novak is stunningly gorgeous uh, in a... Um, you know, a, a, a movie star, uh, femme fatale kind of uh, kind of a person. But I, as I was watching, I was like, oh, I really like this, um, the person that's playing Midge. I think, you know, she looked more like, you know, a fresh-faced kind of, I, would, I don't know if I would say Doris Day, but that more of that kind of person where she just looks like a nice girl, a nice person, somebody that you would want to be your friend and like your wife or something like that. Well, I looked her up, and I was like, I wonder who that is. And I looked her up, and it's Barbara uh, Bel Geddes. And Barbara Bel Geddes played on the TV show Dallas. She was, um, what's her name? Uh, Miss Ellie uh, Ewing, uh, Jock Ewing's wife on the show. Of course, she was a lot older then, and uh, but she was just a, she was a very attractive lady back in the day. Um, let's see, who else is it? But anyway, I watched uh, Vertigo. I think this is my first watch 
uh, of this. I somehow missed it before. A former police detective juggles wrestling uh, with his personal demons and becoming obsessed with a hauntingly beautiful woman. Um, I love the way this movie looks, um, just the way it's shot and uh, the cinematography and just everything about it, the, the time period and everything. It just is a beautifully shot movie. It just looks really good. Um, Jamie Stewart's character is a policeman. And at the beginning of the movie, of course, the movie's called Vertigo. So they set up this thing where he has, uh, they're chasing a criminal, him and his uh, partner. And the guy gets away and goes running across, like you used to see in the old movies, running across the rooftops in, uh, I think, New York City. And it might have been, I can't remember if it was New York or not. Um, I think it was. And um, the criminal and Jimmy Stewart uh, are jumping across the rooftops. And um, he, it's almost like the movie Steel with Lee Majors, where he's a construction worker working on the high, building high rises. And those construction workers can uh, work up on those um, steel, you know, beams. Uh, 10, 20, 30 stories above the ground, and it doesn't bother them at all. They'll be up there walking around, you know, like carefree. And, but they say if they if they almost fall, like one time, a lot of them, if they slip and they almost fall, they'll freeze to the point of they almost have to pry them off of the fucking girder. And that's sort of how what happens to Jimmy Stewart here. He's, you know, a, long, a, a policeman, and he's chasing this guy and not thinking about the height or anything like that. And they're jumping from, you know, rooftop to rooftop. And uh, both of them, um, I think Jimmy Stewart jumps and he ends up hanging from like a girder or from the side of the building. And then his partner comes over and he's like, you know, give me your hand. And this isn't anything that's giving anything away. This is just the setup for the whole movie that happens in like the first couple of minutes. But he's trying to, he's holding on for dear life. And, and that's one thing in a movie where somebody, you're holding on for dear life and um, somebody comes over to the edge and says, you know, give me your hand. And this isn't a flat, this isn't a flat surface, the roof. It's like a, a, a pitched surface. So the guy that's trying to help him, I mean, if you were on a flat surface, you could brace yourself against the edge of the building, reach down and maybe grab him by the coat or something. But this is a pitched, like a roof on a house, like a pitched surface. And Jimmy Stewart's hanging by like a gutter, maybe 10 floors above the, the, above the alleyway. And his partner says, give me your hand, give me your hand. And the the partner accidentally slips and he sees, he looks down and sees his partner, ah, you know, falling all that way. And so somehow that, you know, I don't know how he gets saved, but he gets saved. Maybe the fire department or something comes, but he has this phobia from then on of uh, the fear of heights. Now they don't play it up. They don't play it up to the point of it being like every time something happens, you know, Oh, I, I can't go up there, you know, but it does play a p pivotal role in the movie. Um, and again, this is one that I was thinking the whole time. Okay. I know what's going on here. This is, I kind of I, I kind of know what the t 
twist is going to be, or so you think. But with Hitchcock, there is that twist, and you you know you might expect it, you might not. I'm not sure, but I I kind of was like, okay, I think I know that there's going to be a, a twist here, and I know what it's going to be. But then when they get toward the end of the movie, um, they sort of negate the whole thing. You think that's going to be the whole thing, the reveal and all this and that, but it's not because Hitchcock is a little bit more clever than that. And uh, this was based, it says based on the novel D'Entre les Morts. So that's got to have something to do with death, the entrance of death or something. I don't know. But I liked it. Again, I thought it was a beautifully shot movie. Uh, the acting, it's a classic, classic Hollywood. Uh, I definitely recommend it. Recommend that cock. Hitchcock. Uh, let's see if there's any. I'm surprised that uh, cock, Hitchcock, uh, he really liked, um, oh, what was her name? Let's see, got Kim Novak, but uh, Grace Kelly. I think that that was, wasn't that his big, uh, his big blonde? He always loved the blonde chicks, blonde chicks, especially the bleach blonde bombshell kind of chickies. Um, I wasn't that thrilled with um, the Hitchcock movie, the bio movie with him. I thought it was okay, but it's nothing. Of course, I was going to say it's nothing that it's real, me, very, real, like really memorable. But then again, I can't remember shit anymore, so maybe it was good. <laughs> Let's move on. I don't want to sit here and go on about the cock uh, because we do still have to keep in mind that we are on a timetable now on Silver and Gold. I don't know why. Maybe it would work. Uh, I don't, I'm not sure. Uh, it might work with this new computer past two hours, but who wants to listen to me for more than two hours? I watched Jolt from 2021. And um, this was a movie starring Kate Beckinsdale, Jai Courtney again, and Stanley Tucci. Um, directed by Tanya Wexler and written by Scott Washaw. I'm not sure if this was based on a like graphic novel or a comic book or not. It felt like it was. Um, but I will say this. Kate Beckinsdale was, it was distracting. Um, because, and when I say distracting, it's not because she was so overly gorgeous, you know, or anything like that. It's, Kate Beckinsdale is 48 years old, and in this movie, she looks like she is close to being like a Meg Ryan type looking, where she has had so much Botox and had her lips blown up and everything that it's, for me, it was, it was distracting. Um, it's like she's trying to, ha she's 48, she's almost 50, and she is trying to have like a maybe late 20s kind of a look. And um, her face does, bear, doesn't does move as much. Like I said, the Botox looks like she's kind of uh, no no lines, no wrinkles in her face. She's got the, uh, the duck kind of lips. Um, still, it's not bad. It's kind of... It's a very, it's a, exactly what I expected when you see like these movies with um, 
Jennifer Garner, this one with Kate Beckinsdale, the one with, um, oh, what's her name? Mm, I'm trying to think the other, but the ones with the, the one with the, oh, what's her name from uh, the, uh, God damn it. Neon, was it not Neon? What's the chick that played him? Okay, she played a monster. <laughs> oh, son of a bitch. Uh, an atomic, atomic Blonde's the movie I'm thinking of. Um, what the fuck's that bitch's name? Charlize Theron. Sorry, I didn't mean to be uh, like a sexist, uh, misogynistic uh, asshole. But I'm, I'm mad at myself because I can't remember anything. But those kind of movies where they're, they are, and it goes back to... Um, the other what's are well again um uh Charlize Theron playing in uh, Neon Flux uh sort of the same thing it's exactly what you expect it to be uh and just not that great now like um um Salt I liked Salt because it was more of a um more of a kind of like a Jason Bourne sort of a thing um but these the, the um, and salt was uh, what's her face? <laughs> God damn it! What's her name? <laughs> what is her? Okay, salt had the chick with the big lips, the big boobs, Angelina Jolie. God damn it! What's wrong with me? Um, but like Jolt. Um, the pe- was it peppermint or something like that, or spearmint or peppermint with, with um, that other fucking chick, <laughs> Jennifer Garner movie. <laughs> was, was it not peppermint? What was that fucking movie? Yeah, peppermint. Okay, yeah, they're all sort of the exact same thing. They they put. They have these chicks, and they do like you know like a lot of martial arts and stuff like that. But the, it's not the actresses. Although, like I said, Kate Beckinsdale looks like a carbon copy of Meg Ryan in this. But it is because she was good in uh, she was good as an action star in the vampire werewolf movies. Um, but these movies are just, I think it's more that they're just so thin on and so, um, not complex. And, uh, so just kind of stupid, um, action movie that just isn't that good. So it's more the storyline than anything else. And, you know, just the way it's shot and everything. She's a, um, kind of has this, uh, I, I wouldn't say special power, but it's like she can't control her temper. And so they actually, she just will go off and just beat the fucking living shit out of everybody and blah, 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 blah. So Stanley Tucci's character is like the scientist that's helping her out. And he creates this like, um, almost like those, uh, tens things that I used to wear for my back. Um, and if she starts feeling herself lose control, she presses this button and it shocks her or does whatever to her nerve, something to her nervous system that will like pacify her, which it starts out as kind of funny and fun because she goes out on a date with uh, Jai Courtney. And, and I think she goes out on a date with, with a few other people before. And as she's sitting there, everything they're saying is getting on her nerves and she's just sitting there pressing that button, which they don't know, but she's like literally trying to 
you know, keep from killing him for, for being such douchebags. So I thought it would have been funny if they would have went along that lines. It's like uh, the movie Super Ex-Girlfriend with Uma Thurman. See, I got that right. Uh, <laughs> that was kind of, it was done in more of a tonguey-cheeky funny way. This one starts out that way, which would have been cool if they would have kept going that way and made it kind of not a rom-com, but sort of like an action rom-com kind of a thing. But then they just go off into full, more full, um, just action stupid movie. So it wasn't very good. I, I don't even know if I would say it was worth a watch. I kind of would rather have not watched it. <laughs> I wish it would have been better. I liked uh, Kate Beckinsdale in shiny latex pants with vampire teeth. <laughs> I watched a movie called Compulsion from 2017. Um, this movie was, uh, where was this made? Was it uh, Spain? Okay, I was going to say Spain, but for some reason I wanted to say Brazil. Um, I thought it was South America. Um, but anyway... I found this one on, I believe, Prime. Um, and it's directed and written by Angel Gonzalez, and it stars Susana Aboutois and Paul Cardona uh, and Elaine D. Guzman. Okay, I did not know anything about this. Again, it was another one. I was just trying to find something to watch that would be interesting. And... Um, basic premise of this movie is this woman is married to a guy. Uh, they have a nice life and she really adores him and everything. Um, he goes away on trips for his work and it ends up, she doesn't really know him at all. Uh, and I did not know what this was going to be about. I didn't read the uh, synopsis or anything. And, um, the one thing about this, well, I shouldn't say this because if it's good, it doesn't matter how long it is. It's an hour and 11 minutes long. So it's not long, but it does lie more towards, see, I don't want to give anything away by saying, uh, I, if, if you went into it blind, it would be better. It's not a great movie. But like I said, it's worth a watch because number one, even it's like I said, it's not great. I thought it was going to be more. I thought, okay, uh, <clears throat> I'm being so cryptic that it's not even going to be funny. Um, I think I did read something about it, and I will say that I thought it was going to be almost along the lines of the movie Hostel or Saw or something like that. So that'll just give you some idea when I say she doesn't know what, what he, who he really is. Uh, again, I want to say I, I will recommend it because, like I said, you're not investing that much time into it, an hour and 11 minutes. I thought it was going to be more of an Eli Roth thing as far as, or, or a, um, I thought it was going to be more horrific and gory. Okay, so if that gives you some idea, it wasn't. So, But it was still, I guess, worth a watch. 
So it's called Compulsion. And like I said, 2017, uh, Angel Gonzalez, written and directed. So, you know, like I said, I, I don't want to give that much more away of it. Um, I liked the uh, the uh, main characters. I thought they were pretty good actors. You know, like I said, it's 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 all um, it's uh, Paco uh, Man, Manzan, Manzanado. Let me see what else he was in because I, I liked him. I thought he had a lot, some good charisma. Uh, Risen Centurion. What's that about? Who's in that? Joseph Fiennes, uh, Peter Firth, and Tom Felton. What's this? In 13 AD, a Roman uh, tribune in Judea is asked to find the missing body of Jesus Christ who rose from the dead. I don't know anything about that. I don't know anything about that. Um, this, uh, like I said, uh, compulsion is subtitled, so it's all in it's all in Spanish. But that guy's pretty good. Paco Mazanedo. Moving on. Okay, the Goldstone, the first movie. Uh, I was talking about Goldstone, the Australian movie uh, with uh, Jay Swan, uh, is called Mystery Road. And, okay, that's the TV series. Okay, I thought that the TV series was called Goldstone, but the TV series is called Mystery Road. And, um, but... Mystery Road is also the original movie with uh, Detective Jay Swan, I'm pretty sure. Um, hopefully I got that part right. Mystery Road. When I brought up the IMDb, I brought up, um, I brought up the TV series, so I want to make sure I have the movie thing up here. It's, that's from 2013, uh, directed by Ivan or Ivan Sen, uh, who did the other movie too, Goldstone. Aaron Pedersen, who plays uh, Jay Swan. Uh, Hugo Weaving is in this. Of course, you know him from the Matrix movies. Uh, Ryan Quanten. Let's see. Who else is in this that I know? Uh, Bruce Spence. Bruce Spence from um, uh, Road Warrior with uh, Mel Gibson. Uh, Jack Charles plays Old Boy. Uh, he was a pretty good character in this. He's an aboriginal uh, old dude, old kind of wise dudes, dude who's sort of a snitch for Jay Swan which I thought he was a pretty cool character. Um, in this one, Jay, Swan's, uh, Jay Swan is more, like I said, this is the original movie, and he is definitely more together as far as personally, emotionally, and everything. Um, he is a, you know, a small-town cop. Um, the whole, I think, police force pretty much is white, and again, he is of aboriginal um, descent. And uh, he may be like one of the first, um, quote-unquote, black uh, police officers that they've hired. Uh, but he is good at, he, he's good at going into the neighborhoods of the, you know, the aboriginal people and everything. And a lot of the, the places that he's going to are, uh, and that, you know, where his, like, ex lives with his daughter uh, there, it looks pretty run down and like they're, they're definitely, um, uh, lo- a lower class as I hate to say lower class because that, you know, makes you think that, I mean, they're, they're designated in a lower class of economic, um, you know, <sighs> the structure, you know, of how everything works. It's just because basically, you know, the man's on top and, you know, you're on the bottom. 
But so he can go into these. That, that's one thing, though. I was going to say he can go into these these communities because he's one of them. But it's also almost like uh, if it was an American movie, say in New York City in the seventies, and it's a black cop going into Harlem uh, and saying, "Hey, man, how you doing?" Today? And they're like, "Fuck you," you know, because even though he's one of them or considered one of them. He's not because he's a cop, so he's working for the man. Um, but in some ways, it works for him, and in some ways, it works against him. Um, again, this is one of those movies where uh, I like his character because he is more of a... Uh, he's not like a hothead like Dirty Harry or somebody like that who's going to go off and, you know, beat up some perps and stuff and get pissed. And, you know, uh, he's a smart guy. And they do mention in the in this movie and in um, Goldstone this rifle that he has. It's a Winchester rifle. Now, over here, a Winchester rifle is not, you know, uh, they would probably be more a dime a dozen in America. Uh, I don't know if they're not as um, plentiful in Australia, but they do mention, I think it was his dad's rifle, and uh, they, it sort of leads you to believe that Jay Swan is like a really good shot with this right with the, with the rifle, you know, like a uh, sort of like a, almost like a sniper type kind of a dude. Like he can, he's, he's a fair to good, you know, really good shot. Um, Hugo Weaving is uh, also a cop in the um, in the police department, and him and his partner, from the word go, you know that they're kind of a little flirting around the edges of corruption, and Jay Swan is definitely not that at all. But because they are white and the whole rest of the police force are white, he kind of has to know... I shouldn't say know his place, but I think that's what they expect. They expect him to handle the uh, the Aboriginal uh, people and stuff like that. But if they, you know, don't go sticking your nose in, you know, we let you in this club. It's almost like a. It almost feels like it's almost like a uh, what do you call it? Um, affirmative action kind of a thing, where they were almost like forced to allow uh, someone who is black or who is Aboriginal into the police department and he got picked, but they're like, okay, boy, you know, know your place. I mean, and most of them are nice to him, but you can tell that they're, that they are still like, okay, we let you into this club. Just don't, just don't make any waves and, uh, you know, stay on your side of the tracks kind of a deal, which is a, which is a kind of a cool dynamic. And, um, they find a uh, dead girl, and uh, Jay is Swan is. He's a a very a good detective in that he's not going to let uh, these other cops or even people in the community that are assholes or that might have know something about it uh, deter him from doing his job. So even though they may, you know, say, get the fuck out of here, blah, 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 and think that they're kind of throwing him off the, the beaten path, he's still working. He's still, you know, he wants to find out uh, what's going on here. And, and he also ends up 
having uh, like a, a an actual personal stake in what what's happened to this girl and what's going on. And again, because you know, I live in the United States and everything, it's a it's it gives you it's a kind of a cool insight into you know Australia where they live and um, you know like I said the the uh, race relations and things like that. I like this one too. I thought this one was pretty was 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 good. I think the other one, I think um, Goldstone, I maybe liked a little bit more. I liked, uh, but this one, but but I will say this, for both movies, uh, you have like the police procedural thing that's going on throughout the first maybe three quarters of the movie before you start getting into some, getting into the action. Uh, which is then you're like, okay, man, this okay, things are starting to happen now. And that's how it works out in both movies. And and but I do think I like the relationship between Jay and um, the other um, uh, young policeman in Goldstone. But I also enjoyed, in retrospect, uh, the Hugo Weaving character was really good in this too, kind of like a uh, Kevin Spacey in. Um, in um, not the usual suspects, the um, L.A. Confidential kind of a sort of a character. He skirts around the uh, the uh, edges of, um, of, like I said, corruption and things like that, but not fully full blown baddie, not fully full blown on the side of the angels kind of a deal. Anyway, check that one out too. And if you can't, if you do, watch them in order. <laughs> watch Mystery Road first, and then watch Goldstone because it'll probably give you a little bit more of an insight on why at the beginning of Goldstone, Jay Swan's a little bit more fucked up. <laughs> Moving on. Let's see how much more time I got left on the podcast. I got about a half hour. We got enough time. I watched. I might run out of movies to talk about. Uh, watch Gunpowder Milkshake, which is a, I think, a Netflix original, maybe. Uh, this was on um, uh, from 2001, um, directed by Navat Papushado, Papushado, uh, and written by Navat Papushado and Ehud Lavsky. Uh, it stars Karen uh, Gillen or Jelaine, or Gillen, uh, Lena Hetty, or Mama. Uh, she st- probably still thinks she's the law, but she's not the law. I am the law. Uh, and Carla Gugino, or Gugino. <laughs> I'm going to mispronounce everybody. Also, Paul Giamatti is in this. He's really good. Uh, Angela Bassett, still stunning as ever. Michael Smiley, is, is uh, I've seen him in some other stuff, too. Was he in that fucking football movie with Keanu Reeves? Was he the kicker? Oh, he was in Free Fire. Okay, and Kill List, and Lobster. Okay, what else is he in? He's I've seen him in a bunch of shit. I knew I I recognized him. I was thinking he was the guy that was in the replacements, but I don't think it was. Closer to the heart. Let me scroll down. Okay, he was in The Outpost with uh, Ray Stevenson, which I really liked that one. That was kind of like the zombie, uh, Nazi zombie ghost movie. I would need to watch that again. I really liked that one. Uh, let's see here. I just want to prove, see if I can prove that he wasn't that guy. But I don't think he was. But I do remember, I just watched Free Fire. I'm not going to talk about it because uh, you guys have heard me talk about Free Fire a million times. 
And but I did check that one out again just for fun because I was bored. The other Bo- Bolin girl that was Natalie Portman and Scarlett Johansson, I believe. That'd be a nice sandwich. Nice sandwich. Don't get pervy. Kill list. I saw that and that was weird and good. Uh, lots of TV stuff. Lots of shorts too. Um, yeah, he definitely was not in the replacements. Uh, he reminded me of the kicker guy in Replacements Lobster, like that. He's in, he's in some weird movies. Uh, I think that he is in with, uh, what's his face? Ben Wheatley, maybe. Was Ben Wheatley Kill List? Uh, ben Wheatley was Kill List, and was Ben Wheatley the lobster? No. The lobster was Yorgos Lanthimos. What the fuck did that guy do besides the lobster? That's a weird guy there. A. <laughs> Killing of a sacred deer. Okay, that was weird. Dogtooth. Did I watch Dogtooth? What was Dogtooth? A controlling, manipulative father locks his three adult offspring in a state of perpetual childhood by keeping them prisoner within the sprawling family compound. Hmm. Has anybody heard of Dogtooth? Also known as Kinodontus. That's a strange one. Maybe I better better uh, uh, bookmark that one so I can check it out later. Oh, I've seen the um, I've seen the box art of that with the girl. She looks like she either has a bloody lip or or um, lipstick all over her lips, smeared all over. I can't. I don't know what. But that guy's a fucking weird dude. Uh, uh, dog tooth. What else does he have going on here? The favorite was 2018. Emma Stone and Rachel Weisz and Olivia Coleman. In the early 18th century England, the status quo of the court is upset when a new servant arrives and endears herself to the frail Queen Anne. Oh, I hope that would be good because that doesn't sound like anything I'd want to watch. <laughs> ah, untitled Greek National Opera Project and Poor Thing. Well, the film will be a Victorian tale of love, discovery, and scientific daring. Poor Things tells the incredible story of Belle Baxter, a young woman brought back to life by an eccentric but brilliant scientist, starring Emma Stone, Willem Dafoe, and Mark Ruffalo. How about that? That could be good. Because he's a fucking weirdo. That dude's a weirdo. And I don't mind saying it. Uh, but I loved Free Fire. I loved uh, Captain Marvel in that. She was so cute. Um, and I liked, uh, that one dude who turned out to be kind of a fucking weirdo army fucking hammer. What's his deal? He's like, didn't he say he wanted to eat somebody or something or killing somebody and eat them? And he's like a fucking in exile or ostracized or something like that. Cause he's a fucking weirdo, but you know, maybe he's not, a, maybe he's not a weirdo. Um, Army Hammer baking soda. Well, I want to see what this guy said. I th- I remembered something. He said something really okay. Abuse allegations. Multiple women came forward. I've got to move my mic up to my mouth. Multiple women came forward alleging that Hammer had abused them. An anonymous Instagram account released screenshots. It claimed were messages uh, Hammer had sent to various women. 
he had had affairs with between 2016 and 2020, describing sexual fantasies of violence, rape, and cannibalism. A woman he dated for four months in 2020 claimed he branded her uh, by carving his initials A into her pelvis and was serious in suggestion that he have uh, that she have a lower rib surgically removed so he could eat it. Another woman he dated for about five months in 2020 said that he had been emotionally ab- abusive, reporting that he had said he wanted to eat her flesh and that he would suck and lick her wounds if she had a little cut on her hand. He denied the allegations were real and called them an online attack, responding to the allegations of one of his former girlfriends. An attorney of Hammer said the assertions about Mr. Hammer were patently untrue. Untrue! Uh, but I liked him in Free Fire, so you know, as long as he doesn't try and eat uh, Captain Marvel in a non-sexual way, you know, he's all right. <laughs> He'll be okay. <laughs> he just needs to keep his fucking mouth shut. You never know. Like, it's like these uh, blind item things, you know? Did I say something about the blind item thing about um, Polly Shore? People, you know, they put out those things and they, and they just leave, like, the blanks where the person's, people's names should be. And, um, it was all about Polly Shore and his coke addiction, and when he would get really coked up, he supposedly beat Denise Richards almost half to death, and uh, you know beat her face in and everything. And th- she was a high line prostitute before she became famous, and um, then the madam, like Heidi Fleiss or whoever it was, paid Chuck Zito and these other guys to get Polly Shore and they'd like beat the living shit out of him to the almost beat him to death and put him in a bag and hung him from the Hollywood sign. And that's why his career, uh, ended and he's hasn't done anything. And they gave, they paid for Denise Richards reconstructive surgery and got her a big pair of tits. And then she was in the movie with Matt Dillon and Kevin Bacon. And, uh, and after that, her career took off and then, um, I think they said Charlie Sheen and somebody paid to have Polly Shore get the shit beat out of him because he used to, uh, he, she was one of the hookers that he liked to have come over and they would have threesomes with, um, what was her name? Heather Locklear. But again, this is just all speculation. You know, they put out these line item things and people fill in the, the names of the blank spaces probably so they won't get, uh, sued or something but i was listening to a podcast and they were filling in those line blind item things and uh that's who they said it was Polly shore denise richards and they were saying something about like i think Catherine zeta jones at one time had before she became famous was a was a high-priced call girl or something i don't know but anyway that's all speculation i don't know who beat up who and who's fucking who it was probably Charlie Sheen was probably fucking Polly Shore and beat his face in. And then uh, Pat Cooper and Frank Sinatra had Charlie Sheen and Emilio Estevez uh, beaten about the nuts. And that's when they said they would put him in a bag. It was actually they beat his their, ba- their ball bags. 
and Martin Sheen had to pay to have Charlie and Emilio Estevez's testicles repaired. And Emilio went on to become a mighty duck, and Charlie Sheen went on to become a mighty dick. <laughs> okay, now Lena, he- Lena Hetty, I like her a lot, even when she had rotten teeth. If she was mama, I would have brushed her teeth and put those teeth whitening things on. I don't mind that her teeth aren't straight and that she has gaps. I kind of like that. And she has like kind of a, um, I don't know what, but I like her and I'd fuck her. (laughs) Karen Gillen. Now, I liked her a lot. Um, And she's the one, okay, she's the one that played uh, the whatchamacallit, uh, Nebula. Okay in uh, the Avengers and all that, but I didn't recognize her, and I thought, who is this? She's a cute little chick. Um, They call The Call of the Wild. Okay, I don't watch Jumanji movies. Nebula, I remember her from Nebula. Was she the one that was in The Wedding Crashers? The crazy one that was after Vince Vaughn? Answer me. I'm asking you a question. Look at me. Look at me when I'm talking to you. But I think she's a little cutie, okay? I think she was good in uh, I liked her in um, in um, that movie. Oh, the fucking uh, milkshake. <laughs> okay, I'm not drunk. I'm drinking um, white chocolate caramel cappuccino, which is not even hot now. Coke? Um... And I have a thing of orange juice because I thought maybe that acidy stuff would cut through the the gunk in my throat that makes me uh, my throat start to go. And a big thing of water. I watched 2016's Cell. Uh, this was, I believe, on YouTube for free. Um, this stars. It's directed by Todd Williams. Uh, it's. I did not know this when I first started watching it. It's a Stephen King uh, based on a Stephen King novel. Uh, stars John Cusack, uh, Samuel Jackson, Isabella Fur- Furman, Isabella Furman, Stacy Keach is also in this. Um, who else? Closer to the heart, closer to your heart. I like this movie. It got really bad ratings. And at first I thought, okay, right off the bat, I was like, okay, this is a zombie movie. They're in an airport and anybody that's talking on their cell phone or a pay phone or anything like that starts turning into a lunatic crazed, um, not really a zombie because they're not dead, but they just go nuts. It's almost like the crazies. And so I'm like, okay, I've seen this a million times before, but I'm going to watch it. And then when I saw that it was a Stephen King movie, the reason I was intrigued and the reason I ended up liking it more is because I have been getting more into reading about the connections between all of the Stephen King books uh, with uh, Randall Flagg and the Crimson, whatever the fuck and shit name is, and uh, Pennywise and all these demons and wizards and stuff from other um, places, other dimensions and things like that, and how they run through these different books and everything. And in this one, they had a guy that was known as the president of Harvard. 
And the president of Harvard is this dude uh, who seems to be running everything. Uh, he has a, a red Harvard um, hoodie. He wears the hoodie up all the time. And I think in the books he's an African-American guy, but in the movie he looks more like Randall Flagg. Or uh, I know that they said, I think that the, um, let's see, Randall Flagg goes by a whole bunch of different names. Um the the Crimson King, but I don't think the Crimson King is Randall Flagg. But I thought that he looked like um, in in Cell. I thought that uh, Randall Flagg looked like uh, that. Uh, oh, uh, oh, uh, the guy that was on Law and Order, Jam- Jamie Sheridan. I sort of thought he the the, the that he kind of looked like that. Um, now, I'm not sure. Uh, was Randall Flagg... Randall Flagg is, I'm pretty sure, is not the Crimson King. Let's see. Let me look at this here. Randall, Cl- Randall Flagg also guys go, goes by Walter Paddock, and that was in The Dark Tower, I think. That was Matthew McConaughey's character, uh, which is still Randall Flagg. Uh, Walter O'Dim... Was or was he Walter Hoden in, in the Dark Tower? Uh, Martin, Boardcloak, uh, Bill Hinch, Russell, Faraday, Richard Fannin, Richard Fremantle, Rudin, Filaro, Richard Ferris, Raymond Fiegler, The Covenant Man, Richard Fry, Robert Frank, uh, Ramsey Forrest. Why is this mic shaking? Uh, the Walking Dude, The Dark Man, The Hard Case, Ageless Stranger, and The Man in Black. Species is quasi-immortal human. Okay, quasi. Um, so I don't think he is the uh, Crimson King. But in the movie Cell, when they show him, it kind of looks like Jamie Sheridan. Because there's times where where in the in the book Cell, I think that um, the Harvard president of Harvard is in it a lot more and has a lot more interaction with all the characters. Like he'll show up and ride along with them and stuff like that. But in the movie, they don't show him as much and you see him almost like in dreams. And he appears to be the guy that's leading this, um, thing that goes on in cell. So it's like, like not the movie isn't that great, but I, because I'm kind of, gotten interested in the characters and how Stephen King weaves them through all this stuff and everything and how these um, different beings and like I said, wizards and creatures and things like that, like Pennywise, whatever, how they interact with uh, humans in this movie. um, Again, it seems like it's almost like the crazies and something is making them making these humans go nuts and attack. But then you go through the, the, what they're finding out, like at nighttime, they kind of recede and, and, uh, they go back to a certain place and everything. And, um, um, it's really weird, but I don't know why I've been drawn into this shit. I kind of find myself wanting to watch the new stand. Um, um, 
miniseries, but I don't want to get another channel just to watch it, so I'm just going to wait. I saw just a little bit. They've been really... Because, um, um, I mean, I know the whole story. I saw the first miniseries. And, um, but I... They, on YouTube, they definitely have held back a lot of stuff. I saw just a couple of things with Randall Flagg. Uh, and that's the character that I'm most interested in is like his character. Um, the rats in the corn Lord, uh, John Cusack needs to quit dyeing his hair black. He is the same age as me and he's got pitch black fucking hair and a, like a 50 some year old face. And, um, I wonder sometimes if he doesn't have hair extensions or wear like hair club for men kind of a deal. A wig kind of a thing because he has this look that's always exactly the same with the little bit of loose hair in the front to make it look like it's not a wig because it hangs down kind of like Howard Stern does um, and other people. But I didn't think this was that bad. I enjoyed it. I really liked the end. Uh, that made it pay off for me more than anything was the ending. Dig it. Uh, it's not great, you know, but I'm not saying that everybody else liked it, because a lot of people hated it, but I kind of liked it. I didn't like it. I kind of liked it. <laughs> I watched Once Upon a Time in London. Uh, this is another movie that, some, uh, from what I read, people did not like, from 2019. Um, uh, this was directed by Simon Rumley and uh, written by Will Gilby and Simon Rumley and Terry Stone. It stars Terry Stone, Andy Beckwith, and Josh Myers. Uh, again, like Cell, I think I don't... This movie was confusing at, to some extent. There were two characters in this movie, Harry White, which is Justin Salinger, and the other guy was... Let me see if I can find him. Uh, let's see. Justin Salinger and... God damn it, there was another character in this, and they look almost exactly alike. And so it was hard for me. The two actors look very much alike. And so there, it was confusing at first uh, when I was watching it. I don't know. It might be, this, it might be Leroy, Leroy Gregory and Justin Salinger. But anyway, like Cell, I think the reason that I... Because I was a little bit confused at the beginning of who was who and, you know, just kind of getting into who's who. But one of the reasons that I liked it is because I have read a lot about, um, like, the Cray twins and some of the other villain uh, guys of um, London back in the day that were like the mafia guys that ran everything. Now, they specifically mentioned that these two guys, um, which is uh, Jack Spot, uh, was that Jack? Was that Jack Comer? Okay, uh, Jack Cum Comer or Comer uh, was his nickname was Spot. Uh, him and Billy Hill, uh, and then Her this Harry White. They were like the the villains, the guys that started the organized crime, um, like right before and during World War II, and what came after World War II. And, but what they were saying was, uh, these are the guys, this would be a companion piece for the um, uh, Craze movie, whether it was the original one with the guys from Spandau Ballet or the one with Tom Hardy. 
because these are the guys that that came about right bef- uh, bef- the generation before the craze. And then at the end of this movie, you get introduced to Reggie and Ronnie Cray. So that's kind of the reason it's not a great movie or anything. It's worth a watch, but if you're interested in that time, you're interested in the Cray brothers and you know crime in uh, London and in England in in that period of time, it's worth a watch. Like I said, I, before I got on the show, I was watching a bunch of mafia and movies like that and stuff. So. Uh, it's pretty interesting if you want to watch that and find out about these dudes. Uh, that one was on, I think, Netflix. Burp. Burp. Moving right along. I watched Kiltro. Uh, this was from uh, 2006. It was directed by Ernest, Ernesto Diaz Espinosa and written, well, written and directed. I think I just said that. Uh, it stars Marcos Roar, and I love Marcos Roar. I think he is badass. I wish he would be in more uh, stuff. He would be a good um, henchman, main henchman in a James Bond movie to uh, beat the shit out of Daniel Craig or whoever. Um, I like his fighting style. He's got a ton of charisma. Uh, he's a really tall, uh, lanky, tall kind of a dude. So when he throws these kicks and does these flips and shit like that, it's really impressive looking. Got big feet, big hands. Looks like he could just, you know, like he you could even just like be standing there and know what was coming and he's still going to just knock the shit out of him. He was the villain, main villain in, I think, um, the Scott Adkins movie. What's that noise? <laughs> um, what was the one with your, with Boyka? Uh Yuri Boyka. Boy, God damn it. Type the fingers. Dig it. Boyka. I haven't watched any. Undisputed. I haven't watched any of those in a long time. Those are really good. Um, the last one wasn't as good. but um, Let's see. He was in Undisputed. Let's see. The first one was Ving Rhames and Wesley Snipes. Then it became Michael Jai White against Boyka in the second one. And then the third one was uh, Scott Adkins, who was Boyka. But Boyka became the good guy against Marco Zoror. And then I think in the fourth one, that was when Boyka, it was kind of had some religious themes to it. Uh, and Boyka's redemption, and he was in Eastern Europe and went into some prison or something. But Marcos Roar played uh, Dolor, and he was the guy that while they were having to do like cool hand Luke work in the prison, Boyka, uh, uh, he was like a uh, prison, um, what do you call it, the prisoners that, uh, a trustee that would sit there, and even though he was a prisoner, the guards trusted him to watch over and tell on the other prisoners. So while they were all working, Marco Zoror would sit under an umbrella out in the hot sun reading a book. Uh, but he was real badass. So that's where I got to know Marco Zoror. And um, Loaf was a big fan of Marco Zoror and kind of introduced me more to him and, you know, his other movies. And so I think we reviewed a couple of his movies. One was like a superhero movie. This one's sort of a superhero movie. It kind of has some mysticism and things. Uh, Kiltro. The leader of a Chilean gang uses martial arts to protect a girl from a bully. Now, this one is a lot more than that because it starts out. It's kind of it's kind of like um, 
that uh, Liam Neeson movie about the thief, uh, where it starts out more kind of almost like a rom-com kind of a thing because Marco Zoror is kind of a geek. Uh, he's he's like he has like his own little gang and everything, street gang, but he's kind of a douche. Uh, not like a nerd douche, but just kind of like he thinks he's a badass and everything, and he thinks he's really macho. He'd be the kind of guy like Tony Montana that would stand in front of the fucking mirror and be like, uh, Al Pacino, you know, uh, Attica, Attica, and his little band, or, uh, uh, Speedos. But So he thinks he's kind of a badass, but he's really kind of just like a, a lunkhead, a meathead, kind of a lunkhead, and he likes this girl. So because he likes her and ha- he just has a crush on her. So it's not like he wants to rape her or anything. He really likes her. And, um, so, um, he has like a, a, a boyish crush. So anybody she pays attention to or anybody she goes out with, he wants to beat up and he'll go and like pick a fight with him and beat him up and everything. And he doesn't get, it's not like he's like Marco Zorora to start with his karate skills kind of suck, but they're just good enough that he can win. But if he's fighting somebody else, like brawling with somebody over this girl, it's more just like a kind of like a, a clumsy street fight. But then when something happens to her and her father and everything, and all this stuff comes back from the past that threatens them, um, he finds out that he um, he goes on like this quest. It's almost like the David Carradine movie. Uh, where he's like the karate, or uh, he wasn't the karate guy. He was the master that was leading the karate dude. Um, not Quest for Fire. What the fuck am I thinking of? It was the one where they, they, uh, they, the guy's name was Cord, uh, and Bruce Lee was supposed to play the David Carradine part. Oh, I'm not the kind to kiss and tell, but I've been seen with Pharaoh. Oh, of course it won't bring it up. Cord. There was another movie where a guy, uh, what was the guy's name? Oh, God, Circle of Iron. It's sort of like that where he kind of goes on a quest because he has he wants to help his girlfriend, girl crush girl, and her dad, who is like a karate master who has a dojo, but he goes out and and uh, meets these dudes, this this like a uh, uh, dwarf guy, and uh, they tell him about this secret uh, uh, kind of a not a cult, but like a secret group that uh, used to uh, fight for truth and justice and everything. And he has to go through these things to learn the the ways of the, their ways and to become the skilled fighter and. A hero with a true heart and everything. So it's pretty fucking entertaining. I, I actually liked it, you know. And like I said, I, I liked the, um, I liked that it wasn't just straightforward, you know, badass motherfucker. I liked the part that they kind of made Marco kind of be uh, a uh, a guy who was clueless about women, but he really liked this girl. And not and like I said, not that. It was like some girl that he was like, oh, my God, I want to fuck her brains out or something like that. He had like a boyish crush. Like he wanted her to be his girlfriend and hold her hand and he'd bring her flowers and stuff. And like he he showed up at one point and brought her a bunch of flowers that he had picked. And he looks across the street and she's standing there with this guy. And uh, and it just like broke his heart. He was just dropped the flowers and like sulked away. So it was kind of cool seeing him be, you know, play an emotional guy. 
Okay, I've only got like about six minutes left, but I want to talk about the movie Homicide from 1991. I thought this movie fucking sucked shit. I fucking did not like this movie at all. Uh, David Mamet is hit or miss with me. I think that uh, from what I understand, maybe maybe this is my problem. Uh, if it's Mamet uh, and somebody else is directing, then I don't mind it. But when it's Mamet directing uh, something written by Mamet, ugh. Joe, Joe uh, Montaigne, I never have liked him as an actor. Uh, William H. Macy is also in this. There's some good people in this, but everybody, every character sounds like David Mamet. Every fucking character speaks in Mamet speak. So you're not going to go get the girl. You're not going to go get the girl. I'm not going to go get the girl. No, you're not going to go get the girl. I'm not going to go get the girl. You're not going to get the girl. What about the girl? You're not going to go get her. I'm not going to go get her. You're not going to go get the girl. What about the girl? I'm not going to go get her. You think I'm not going to go get the girl? You're not going to go get the girl, are you? Not going to go get. I mean, it's just like every character sounds like they are reading from a script that he wrote. And I mean literally reading it, not acting. Um, I did not like the whole the whole ham-handed Jewish thing in this movie. I like cop movies. I like some of Mammoth's fucking uh, movies that he wrote. Um, but I'm telling you, like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, I like that. What else? Okay, let's see what else we got here. Spartan. I like that one, even though it did have Mammoth speak in it. Uh, to, and they all do to an extent. Heist. I liked Heist with Gene Hackman. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, Ronan. I liked Ronan. Wag the Dog. I liked Wag the Dog. The Edge, I like that one, although uh, I said if you had a drinking game and every time, um, uh, what's his face, said Charles um, Baldwin, Alec Baldwin, every time he said Charles, if you took a drink, you'd be dead in the first like five minutes of the fucking movie. But Homicide sucked. I, I mean, okay, for me, it sucked. I did not like it. I did not, I, it could have been a good movie. Uh, he, you know, I don't know. It's just something about it. It seemed like I was, it, I was watching a play and, and, and he told the guys, say the lines exactly how I wrote them. Exactly, exactly, exactly. You have to, you know, it it just, it seems, it makes it seem not real. Um, I don't, I wouldn't, you know, the way people don't talk like that. Uh, again, if somebody else is directing it, it's not as bad. But he seemed like he was like, you know, they might as well have just been standing there and he, holding a piece of paper and reading his lines and the way he writes them. And it just really turned me off. And then again, like I said, I did not like the fucking story. I thought it was like hitting, hitting somebody over the head with ham-handed fucking... You know, uh, the whole uh, the whole thing that they were, the Jewish guilt, Jewish uh, thing that, and, and I'm not saying, I'm, you know, I'm not like a fucking uh, anti-Semitic or anything. I just thought it was so um, obvious in your face, hit you over the head with shit that it was, it was sad. I mean, it was like really bad writing and bad movie making. Uh, it didn't look bad as far as the cinematography and everything goes and the acting, 
I mean, William H. Macy, I love him. And there were good actors in it. But when you take good actors and you force them, you don't let them act. You don't give them any any rain or anything like that. And you're just forcing them to just fucking do this. I don't know what the fuck you would call it. It just sucked. Like I said, it, I've seen plays on the stage where people are, you know, like they've memorized their lines like that. And it just sounds that the, the writing has a certain cadence to it in a certain uh, way that the guy writes it. And he's so impressed with himself and loves the sound of his own voice and the smell of his own farts that he he makes them say the, the lines exactly as they are written. And it just does not work. I thought this movie sucked. I, I had a hard time getting through it because I was just like, Jesus fucking Christ. I didn't like the story. I didn't like Mammoth's fucking, uh, the, the, you know, of course he wrote the story, but I didn't like the way that they, you know, that the, the, the acting or anything. Good actors that were just pigeonholed. If he would have let them, you know, maybe speak like normal people, <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, we're at the end of the show, and it's time to close it down. I probably have a couple more to go, but I'm going to end it with the two-hour deal. Let's talk to you later, people. <laughs> ooh, 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 ooh.